Welcome to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this spirit-filled message that it blesses your week and brings you joy and perspective. To connect with us, hop on social media and for more information, head to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. everybody. How are we? Are we enjoying the colder weather? Loving it. Absolutely loving it. Um, I want to get stuck straight in because I've got quite a bit to cover this morning. Um, God has taken me personally on a really cool journey as I've delved into some kind of heavy scripture. But sometimes that's good. Hey, Sometimes that's good to delve into some heavy scripture. So I'm going to pray and get straight into it. Father God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're always here. Yeah, God, thank you that we don't speak in vain and we don't sing in vain and that you're on the move, God. Thank you that you're on the move this morning. Yeah, we just ask you to speak because we're so listening to you, God. We're so listening and we're so ready. Amen. Alrighty. So, last week, you all very quiet this morning. I would love it if I had some like vocal involvement. Cool? All right. (laughs) So, last week, we left Jesus and he was at the temple courts. And he was teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were hounding him with questions, trying to figure out a way to get him arrested. Cool, so that's where we left him. Some pretty heavy stuff there as well. And so now picking up in Matthew 23, we've got Jesus, and he's actually addressing the crowds and the disciples about the Pharisees. And when I was reading this, I was like, I wonder if the Pharisees were literally like still there standing and listening because it doesn't actually say that they left. And I'm like, if they, like he says some heavy stuff. I'm like, if they didn't want to kill him before, they definitely want to kill him now because he goes after some hectic stuff. And um, in the scriptures, it's called the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus highlights everything that they're doing wrong, basically. He just lists a ton of stuff, such as they lay oppressive burdens on others. They do their works to be seen and they live for the praise of man. And they need reserved seating and they need the best seats at the table. And everything is for show. You know, putting that into today's terms, they'd be the people who... You know, you come to church every Sunday and you have your specific seat. And this Sunday, that new person sat in that seat that you usually sit in and you get up into a bit of a stink because that's my seat. I need reserved seating. In today's terms, those Pharisees are probably like those of us that have those big opinions about what things should look like, how things should be done, if the worship should go for 10 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour. Amen. Yeah. Caleb said it so well when he preached last weekend that when we read about the scribes and Pharisees, we can be so quick to be like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not like them. When really, there's actually like quite a few things that I read and I was like, Ugh. 
So Christians today often think of Pharisees as hypocrites and they don't feel threatened when hearing them rebuked. But in today's terms, Jesus was speaking out against people who seemed to be living holy lives because they were practicing human religion rather than serving God with purified hearts. But we're Pentecostals, right? We're not religious. We're Pentecostals. We're free. We're liberated. But no, Pentecostals, we still have our little methods. We have the things that we think work. We have the religious things that just like creep in. And I think as Pentecostals, it's really important that we remember and we realize and we engage with Holy Spirit always to make sure that we don't become religious in the things that look like they're spiritual. So Matthew 23, verse 13, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Jesus says this about the Pharisees. You do all you can to keep the people from experiencing the reality of heaven's kingdom realm. Heavy. You do all you can to keep the people from experiencing the reality of heaven's kingdom realm. And then verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Self-righteousness is not righteousness. Self-righteousness is not righteousness. That's what Jesus was saying. You know what a Pharisee is? A Pharisee actually means separated one. Separated one. And the interesting thing is, as God's people, we are actually called to be set apart. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 in the message says, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. We're actually called to be set apart. But the Pharisees just got it wrong. Being set apart should lead to authenticity and an innate holiness instead of religiosity. When religion becomes a facade of holiness to conceal unholy character, it makes us less receptive to God's transforming grace. And what happens is that we actually lose a sense that we need Jesus. When we're relying on religiosity, when we're relying on methods, when we're relying on the things that we do daily in order to be holy, we actually lose the sense that we need Jesus. And I think that is one of the worst things that could ever happen to the church. We need to live every single day like we live and breathe for the fact that we need Jesus. And that's what I think the Pharisees lost sight of. Verse 23, again from the Passion Translation. He said, these matters are fine. So he's like, the fact that you tithe, it's actually fine. The fact that you have things that you do, 
by themselves, they're actually fine. But the problem is that you ignore the most important duty of all, to walk in the love of God, to display mercy to others and to live with integrity. Readjust your values and put first things first. Readjust your values and put first things first. What values in your life need readjusting? What are some things that you need to shuffle the order of? Just a side note before we move on. Jesus tells his disciples to do everything that the Pharisees tell them to do. Jesus said respect was due to the scribes and Pharisees, not because of their conduct, but because of their position. They should be respected because they hold an office of authority ordained by God. It's a little side note for free. You don't need to agree with someone's doctrines or methods in order to respect them. I feel like I'm getting through this quick. This is good. (laughs) All right. Moving on to Matthew 24. Are we all good? Cool. I know it's a bit heavy. I know it's a bit heavy, but we're, we're going somewhere. Okay, so we get to Matthew 24, and Jesus' long day of work is almost done. He's been in the temple, he's been teaching, he's been, he's been answering questions from the Pharisees, and then he just had a go at them. Like, it's been a big day. It's been a big day. And so he leaves the temple, and he leaves the temple for the last time, because he's actually never going to go back there again. Because soon after we finish here, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. Yes, that's, that's where we are at. So he leaves the temple and he heads to the Mount of Olives and the disciples start to ask him information on the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. End times, spooky. I don't know, I don't know. I hear end times and I get a bit like, Okay. <laughs> so they ask him about the signs of the end times and Jesus lists a few things that are gonna happen. So he says there's gonna be wars, persecution, death, false prophets, there's going to be a lot of like tsunamis and and natural destruction, there's going to be this and that. But he says, but the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So he's going, hey, like all this stuff is going to happen, yes, but remember, my word is going to be preached everywhere. And I, and I know that sometimes when I think of end times, I think of all the destruction. I think of all like the awful stuff happening. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm not going to think about the end times because it's heavy. But I read that and I just felt like this immense hope, yes, yes. immense hope right. built inside of me. And I just went, you know what? If that's what gonna ha- it's going to happen, all of that is worth it. All of the persecution, all of the wars, even death is worth the message of Jesus Christ being preached all over the world. Amen? Cool. So we're going to read some scripture now. Is that good? All right. Cool. So Matthew 24, verses 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 24, 32 to 35. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. 
Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So they're on the Mount of Olives, right? And what's cool is that fig trees are found there. So Jesus uses something that's right in front of them to illustrate. And I just thought that that's really cool because Jesus still does the same thing with us today. He'll use something right in front of us to teach us something, yeah? Yeah, because he knows how to speak to us. It's really cool. So the pass away language in this verse can also be translated as be in vain, fail, be empty or unaccomplished. God's words, no matter what, will never be in vain. They'll never fail. They'll never be empty. And they will never be unaccomplished. How amazing. All of this stuff can be going on. The heavy stuff, the hectic stuff, the end times spooky stuff can be going on. And God's words of hope, God's words of grace, God's words of love will never fall away and they will not be unaccomplished. I think that's so important to remember when we're delving into this stuff, yeah? All right. So 24, 36 to 44, the day and hour unknown. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore... Keep watch, because you do not know what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known of what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. In this passage... When it says keep watch, it's actually talking about wakefulness, being awake. I think that as Christians, especially in the West, we are constantly plagued with the temptation to sleep and become spiritually drowsy. The, the house that this passage is talking about in the East back then the houses were made of mud or clay. And so when it talks about being broken into, it's not actually talking about like a breaking in through a door or through a glass window. It talks about a digging through the walls because that's how, the, that's how they break into houses is they dig through the walls. Spiritually, spiritual drowsiness does not break into our lives loudly and obviously. Rather, it breaks in brick by brick, using the everyday rhythms of life to its advantage. Spiritual drowsiness doesn't come in with like, hey, I'm coming! Can you see me? 
No, I think, I think spiritual drowsiness is quiet, unassuming, clever. When it talks about being ready, it means to be assured of God's favor, stamped by his image. The signs of the times given by Jesus were intended only to rouse his bride to watchfulness, not to predict the time or season. Um, I'm one of those, like, let's get it done, people. You know, like, I, I love a good theological chat. I love going deep. I, like, I'm a Bible college student. I get it. I, I, love, I love it. But, but for me, it's like, if, if, when, if there's no result of, like, what are we doing with it, then I'm like, I don't have time. You know, like, I don't have time for it. Let's, like, get stuff done. You know? But, but the problem with that, I found is that I can get so caught up in getting it done. So with this ends time stuff, I, I'm like, you know what? I don't care when he's coming. I don't care if I know or not. I just need to get it done. I need everyone in the world saved. So let's do it. Let's get it done. I don't care about any of it, you know. And something, something that God said to me this week, because I'm not going to lie, I read these passages and I was like, uh, why did I get this one? Why did I get this one? And I was talking to my housemates about it and I was like, I'm so frustrated because end time is just not my thing. I'm like, I just want to get stuff done, you know, like, and, and Holy Spirit has really done like a, I think like almost like a reversal of my heart because he's saying, hey, like the reason why I want you to be aware is so that you're alert and you don't become sleepy because yes, this stuff is heavy, but what it's meant to do is actually like arousing us more of a drive, more of an importance. Yeah, Fred said it, urgency. We need an urgency. We need a bit of a fire in our bellies. We need a bit of a firecracker, you know, behind us. This stuff isn't meant to make us feel scared. Because remember, he says that his words will never fail. And he's still a God of hope. He's still a God of justice. He's still a God of grace. But let's be awake Let's be ready. All right. So the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25. Guys, I'm powering through this. I'm like halfway through my time. I'm nearly done. This is great. Short service. So we're all here for the AGM. Amen. Cool. All right. So we're going to read. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet them. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins were ready, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. 
Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he repeated, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or hour. Heavy. So in in Jewish marriages, which is what what Jesus was referring to here, it was usual for the bridegroom to bring home his bride in the evening. And then the friends of the bridegroom were invited to come and wait with lamps trimmed and burning to welcome him and lead them to the house. And these lamps, they weren't like a lamp like we would think. They were like a, like a rod, like a pole. And they had um, like a rag and they doused it in oil and they, they'd keep... like they'd keep a spare jar, well, they're meant to, (laughs) a spare jar and they'd keep dowsing it. And it was to welcome the bride and the bridegroom. It was to welcome them. If I could get the band up, that would be be awesome. (laughs) So funny, guys. All right. (laughs) So the reason why... Jesus uses the word virgin here. It's to represent purity of character. Remember, not religiosity, not let's do all of these things in order to look holy and have a facade of holiness, but actually a purity of character. The lamp represents an outward life of holiness. Remember Jesus said, these things aren't bad. These things that you do, these things that you say, the way you live your life, it's not bad. Remember? But what matters is the heart's position. He said about the Pharisees, what what, what matters is the heart's position. So we've got the virgins, purity of character. And that comes through a refinement of the Holy Spirit, yeah? Two, we've got the lamps, an outward life of holiness. And third, we've got the oil, which is the divine grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sweet, beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. Without this, without the divine grace poured out every single day, without the Holy Spirit living and breathing alive in us every single day, the lamp begins to burn dimly. And then it quickly expires. You know, you can burn for a while off religiosity. But it eventually expires. You can burn for a while by doing things that look good and feel good and make you feel like you're holy. But after a while, it'll start to dim and it will expire. You can build your life around religious duties or methods that you know that work. But they will expire eventually and you will stop burning altogether. Do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us all the time? Yes, we do. Is he always present? Yes, he is. But does that mean that we don't need to steward it? Steward his presence? No, I don't believe so. I think an important part of being the church. Yeah, it's like no sound coming out. That's interesting. (laughs) 
<laughs> Great. Okay, anyway, back to my point. I don't even know where I was up to. Yeah, cool, yeah. Let's steward Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life based on religiosity or things that I think work or methods. I'm, I'm, I'm all for methods. I'm all for routine. I love my routine. I have my nighttime routine, my morning routine. I have my routines. I'm all for them. But if that gets in the way of me stewarding Holy Spirit, then I don't want anything to do with them. I want to do that stuff out of Holy Spirit, already living inside of me, already, already breathing inside of me. I want to do that stuff out of that place. These virgins, they all made separate, personal and individual preparation. They all made separate, personal and individual preparation. No one can keep your lamp burning for you. No matter how good the worship is on a Sunday, that cannot keep your lamp burning for you. It doesn't matter. You could have the best friends in the world. You could be like besties with Pastor Rob, Pastor Fred. But they cannot keep your lamp burning for you. You know what they can say? They can say, hey... Looks like you're running out of oil. Maybe you should get some more. But they can't keep it burning for you and they can't give you the oil. The oil comes from the grace of God and it comes from the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about you, but I'm not walking walking into these like these times that, that we are heading into of, of you know that the scary stuff. I'm not walking into that afraid anymore. I'm committed to walking into that alert and awake. I refuse to be spiritually drowsy. You know, like there is a world out there that needs the grace of God and we need to be alert. We need to be awake and we need to be stewarding this thing.